This is episode eight of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, my friends. I hope you're enjoying these wonderful interviews I've been bringing you on Extraordinary Women Radio. I have to say, I have been loving doing these interviews. What's not to love about hearing the stories of great women doing great things in our world? Today's interview with Chandy Ghosh, another trailblazing woman in the world of tech, was so inspiring. Chandy Ghosh is a well-respected visionary executive and CIO specializing in disruptive digital transformation. She is passionate about mentoring women and minorities. She is currently an executive partner at ThoughtWorks, a software engineering company that seeks to revolutionize business by delivering disruptive technology to address their clients' toughest challenges. ThoughtWorks recently was recognized as the 2016 best place to work for women in tech, ahead of companies like Google and Facebook. Chandy has helped lead a very intentional mission to bring more women into ThoughtWorks. The company is 60% women, including at the executive ranks, compared to the nearest competitor at 23%. What a huge difference. I've been looking forward to this conversation with Chandy because I want to get deep into the discussion why this really matters. I'm looking forward to her insights. So let's dig in. Welcome, Chandy. I'm so excited to have you here with us today. So you grew up in Calcutta. Can you tell us about growing up there and how it really just molded you into the woman you are today? Yeah. Um, so I've spent about uh, 20 uh, plus couple of years in Calcutta. So the first uh, few years of my life. And uh, it was very interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed, of course, my life there. My mother was a professor in college oh, and nice. my dad, yeah, and my dad studied engineering in the U.S. So okay. uh, in our family from day one, engineering was huge. Yes, yes. And education, it sounds like as well. And education was huge, engineering, um, any kind of, it was very much STEM oriented right from day one in my family. Okay, so you grew up with that all around you. You were you were always um, hearing the conversations around the table. Um, so tell us more about that. I mean, just tell us what it was like growing up in Calcutta. Um, so, uh, of course, it was a very um, uh, conservative, restrictive kind of society for young girls. And um, but my dad, having lived in the U.S. for a long time, had very west. Western views of women in the workplace, striving for equality. So right from the time I was very young, um, any conversations that would occur, um, I, I would always notice that he would, you know, bring me into it and get me uh, and always, you know, support me um, if people said anything that was a little sexist or anything. So um, I started learning a lot uh, since I was a kid. Okay. That it was, you know, that we women should have their own place and uh, own their own futures and careers. And so that was really modeled in your household even. Absolutely. My mom was a little more conservative, but um, my dad, you know, had basically uh, set the tone from day one. Okay, nice, nice. And um, what were days like growing up? So, um, of course, uh, education studies and, but what I loved was, and I've done the same thing for my kids is that, uh, he put me into sports at a very young age. So at the age of 12, um, he entered me into this national, um, table tennis, uh, championships, these tournaments that lead into the nationals. And I used to play just for fun in the club and it was very interesting. So I won the state level tournament. And after that, literally, I had to play in tournaments from the age of 12 um, till I went into college or even till I graduated college um, all the time, traveling everywhere um, to all parts of the country by myself with teams, et cetera. So the one thing that it really taught me was independence mm-hmm. and, of course, a ton of confidence because literally you have to do everything yourself. 
Right, right. You know, and I think the whole foundation of kids in sports teaches us so much. I mean, I know just as myself, as a, as a young girl, I, I played basketball, I showed horses, you know, I did those sorts of things and it gives us different experiences that helps us in our careers. I mean, can you, can you think about what that taught you as, and how you were able to apply that into your, your very successful career? So um, I think playing sports, like you said, is, is so, um, you know, it really opens your horizons, you know, teaches you how to interact with people, teaches you uh, how to interact with uh, teammates. Um, and then all the wins and losses to be able to take all that into stride. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's literally a, a, one, a really good training ground for anybody. And in fact, what was interesting is that, you know, the Indian culture, uh, especially back then, did not support sports at all. It was all about studies, education. You worked all day. Um, and so it was, um, people would question my dad, why are you letting her play like this and, you know, travel all over by herself? And <laughs> yeah, and, and, uh, I'm so glad. That, and in, in fact, what's interesting is even here in the U.S. with both my kids being so extremely athletic, um, and they're in the papers all the time. And I, my friends who also still have a lot of the, um, some of the uh, folks who grew up with me in India, they still question me and say, wow, how do you allow your kids to play so much? Don't they have uh, studies? And both of them are doing really well in studies too. So um, I'm like, no, it's, to me, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think it just, just gives us a different foundation in life. Um, so you, you played sports and, um, one of the things you mentioned to me is as, as a young woman in India, you started getting marriage proposals pretty early. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So, uh, especially in my, back in my time when I was there, he, the, um, uh, arranged marriages, see, I can't even remember the word arranged marriages, uh, were pretty popular. So, um, wherever I went, once I, you know, finished high school, I was in college, uh, wherever I traveled, uh, my parents would start getting marriage proposals. And that is so funny. My dad would tell everybody, hey, back off. She can find her own guy. And uh, Good for your dad, uh, right? I know. And then he, <laughs> he kept saying she has to study first. I mean, she has to go get her master's. And, you know, she's not getting married anytime soon. So, yeah, it was just, um, so the whole concept of arranged marriages to me is very strange now because, I mean, my, like like I said, my dad would keep saying, hey, there's no way she's going to have an arranged marriage. So right. it was right. good. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so did you go to, um, did you do your, your studies, your college studies, university studies in the U.S.? Yeah. So um, I in uh, Calcutta, I finished my uh, high school in one of the top schools in Calcutta and then uh Went to college, uh, studied uh, physics, chemistry, math. Um, really enjoyed that. But when I went in, for, I went in for my master's after that. After that, um, in chemistry, and I actually won the president's gold medal for being the best student. Um, and uh, one of the things after that that I, uh, my parents were saying is, "Do you want to go in for your PhD?" And so I applied for my PhD and in the U.S. Um, so my my dad insisted that I come to the U.S. and study. So um, I was a little excited and nervous, of course, but uh, I'm so thankful I uh, took that on. And uh, uh, I was supposed to come to the University of North Carolina to do um, uh, my PhD in chemistry. And then I started thinking more about it. I'm fairly outgoing and, uh, you know, love being around people. And the thought of spending the next uh, two two to three years in a lab was just not appealing. Um, so I said, okay, let me see how I can make myself a little more well-rounded and, you know, math is a good foundation for anything. So, right, um, right. and so I decided to, uh, come here for my MBA instead and okay. did a specialization in, uh, information systems. So that's how I got into computers. Which was and, probably uh, a, at a, such an important time when our, when our, that was just an up and coming industry, right? So for you to step I, into that and make that decision was probably a really smart decision that you can look back on. Absolutely. And I, I think I was already ex- interested and excited about, uh, you know, how computers were getting so widespread. And uh, 
So I decided, you know, that's something that would certainly help me in my career in the future, and especially coming to the U.S., you know. So I said, um, so I went ahead and did that, enjoyed that a lot. And right on campus, I was recruited by um, U.S. West and landed, landed in Denver. And, you know, I've been here since then. Yeah. So my yeah. entire career, yeah, here in Denver, um, in you know, with uh, a lot of stints, uh, global stints, of course. It's Absolutely. Been sitting here. Right, yep. exactly. Exactly. And as you were, I mean, even as you were going through the um, college days in, in those in those courses, were you and very primarily, was there, was there many women in the classes? Um, so let me talk about how this happened in high school. This is very interesting, uh, very different. Um, and it doesn't, I don't think it occurs in India anymore, but back then, because they were trying to encourage, um, they were trying to encourage people to stay in um, uh, maths and sciences, uh-huh. but, but uh, I, I went to an all-girls school. So the way they did this was they, in eighth grade, when, uh, you know, you finish your exams and the top 20% of the class of the, let's say there were about 100 students, mm-hmm. 20 students were sent to the science division. The other 80s went into humanities and where they were taught all kinds of, you know, um, I'll never forget, there was um, cooking, stitching, knitting, um, and, and all the other standard classes like history, geography, and all that. But right. all those classes just completely turned me off. So I was so happy to be in the sciences. And... Uh, so, but, but as you can imagine, it was like the top 20% were given science, assigned science. And then, That's of course, if, uh, yeah. And, and of course, if you didn't want to do science and you got a letter from your parents saying, no, I don't want my daughter to do science, then they would allow you to move to humanities, but, and give someone else the opportunity. But, um, so that way I was always, I mean, in the girls school, I was always around girls and, uh, that 20% of us got really close and we're still friends, very close friends right now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when we went into college also, uh, I'm trying to think when did my physics, chemistry, math, uh, I, I would think we were about at least 40% women. And so that was, it's very interesting. Yeah. Now that you say that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, um, um, I think that's interesting that you were, you know, from that very, very get go, you were, all, you were in that space and it just kept growing and evolving for you. And it's led to such yeah. a, a successful career for you. And in this past year, you've just joined ThoughtWorks. Can you tell us um, why you joined ThoughtWorks and um, just, to, just tell us a little bit about the journey into the company that you're in today? Sure. Um, so why I joined ThoughtWorks uh, and I'll get to it, um, you know, as I talk, talk a little bit of the, about this journey and then it will become very clear why I joined ThoughtWorks. Um, so I started off, you know, right, like I said, uh, right off of uh, campus, I was hired into US West mm-hmm. and I was on a fast track selected as, as the first 60 people out of 60,000 employees to attend the custom Harvard executive development program. So they put me into this fast track program which was awesome because they were uh, supporting a lot of, uh, you know, diversity in the company. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was very exciting for me. And, you know, if you can uh, think about that 60 out of 60,000, that's like 0.01%. Uh, yeah, it's just a big. Absolutely. What an yeah. opportunity. It was a fantastic opportunity. And literally, you know, my career started blossoming. I went from associate to an MTS, to an SMTS, to a manager, to a director, all, you know, very fast, literally like a promotion every two years. Um, and I was really enjoying everything there. And, uh, suddenly I remember, um, I hit this glass, glass ceiling at the director level. I, uh, I approached my supervisor and I said, you know, um, I see that I'm doing way better than several of my peers. I see people getting promoted. There have been opportunities, but, um, I just don't seem to be one of them. And this was a big, uh, aha to me. And, um, I realized that this is, how the world, how it works in careers, and which is why it's so important for girls to have mentors to understand, you know, how to navigate these things. Um, but bottom line, um, he basically said, um, you know, I do, I think you do a great job, and I would love to recommend you. I've always recommended you for promotions, but uh, you know, it's a peer review process, and at this level, to make you, a, you know, either a VP or 
um, a senior position, I would have to get the approval of my, all my peers. And uh, most of them haven't uh, really, um, don't know you well because you have uh, never attended any of our happy hours. Oh uh, we have, well, every, every Thursday we have happy hours and all of us get together. And uh, so I was like, I was devastated because I had young kids and it was already hard with a full-time career, you know, balancing that and the young kids. And right. now if I have to go out doing happy hours, um, you know, I just would not prioritize that. Right. So I said, okay, you know, that, I'm just going to go ahead and do what I have to do. And, uh, and then I realized, you know, and there's so many things that I can, you know, when I uh, mentor these days, I have learned so much from my own career um, that, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there are times when you decide that you don't need to um, exponential speed, exponentially speed up your career. There are times when you realize, okay, you're at that spot where you need to make that next move. So to be able to figure out what that is and when that is. So I took that, I won't say take a back seat, but I would say I decided, okay, let my kids get a little bigger and then I will, you know, control my own career. I'm not going to be waiting for somebody else to say I'm good or not. Right. You know, it's interesting. That's so interesting because I did the same thing in my career from the perspective of, um, I was a single mom and I, um, had, my son was growing up, um, I, there was a place where I, you know, my career, I was very focused on, you know, I, I had things and responsibilities I had to do and taking care of my son. And, but when he got to that high school age, there was a place where I was like, okay, I've got more space. I've got more freedom. I can travel more in my work. And that's where my, my career really took off when I was in the corporate world was at that age. Um, just because there was more space for me to do that. And sometimes right. our kids are just so much more important. We have to make those decisions and those balancing, um, integrating, balancing is not the right word, integrating um, um, decisions in our life. What's most important to us at any given space along the way? Yeah. I, and I, you know, that's the advice I give my daughter. She's 22 now. And I tell her, you know, and she loves traveling. And I tell her, you know, take your, she's at um, a very big um, big five consulting company. And, uh, so I tell her, you know, take these assignments anywhere in the world. She's applied, trying to go to Barcelona. Um, she's already lived there before in the past, but, um, she, to take all these, you know, crazy, um, career moving, um, opportunities. And, uh, then, you know, by the time she's, she's only 22, by the time she's 30 and wants to settle down and have kids, you know, then, she can decide choose for herself, you know, where she wants to go with her career. But um, this is a point to really take it to that level where people recognize that, you know, you have some of the highest potential and not to take it easy in the beginning of your career. Yeah. So that's yeah. some of the advice I give out. That's good. That's great advice. So you, as your kids got a little bit older, that's when things really started to open up for you too. Yeah. So, um, so basically, I moved out uh, from this company. From uh, I was initially at US West Quest and all. Then I moved out and went to Big Five Consulting, and uh, got some fantastic opportunities. Um, and then within a year and a half, almost two years, I uh, became the CIO of a of a company with uh, and had about three hundred reports in six different countries. And uh, it's just, it was a very good experience because uh, I traveled to all these places. I learned a lot. Um, you know, <laughs> we talk about the, uh, you know, environment, the work environment here. But when you go to some of these countries and I have folks in Russia, Ukraine, Armenia, um, you know, and uh, in the U.S., a large team. So, you know, trying to bring all these different cultures to- together was a very exciting challenge, I have to say. But, so, um, so Chandy, can right. I ask you when you took that, you know, when you really took that big blossoming step, when you took that, you know, you moved into the big five consulting and then you landed this, this CIO role, what, what was the, the driving factor, the energy that was behind you saying, okay, I'm stepping into this. What did you feel like at that time when you were, you know, what, what emotions were you going through? What was what was the, you know, the, the shifting things for you that helped you just really blossom at that time? Um, so it was, I mean, basically it was me taking control of my own career. It was basically at that point where I decided, okay, now I, this is not the career path I wanted to be on. I didn't want to just settle, down, settle back 
And, and, you know, there was a lot of conversation at work where people would say, oh, well, that's okay. We should be happy with jobs. And I'm going, no, I'm not happy with that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you wanted so something it was, more. Yeah. I wanted something more. And I knew I wanted to become a CIO, um, you know, and, uh, not, you know, in my early forties as opposed to my, uh, much later in life. And, uh, so I said, you know, at the rate I'm going, I'm never going to get there. So I decided, you know, get, you know, move out. Big five consulting always helps. I mean, especially when you're young, oh, that's one of the best ways to learn because you get into all these different industries. Right. And then you learn a whole lot of different uh, challenges of these. Each customer has a different challenge. So you're not, I mean, when you go in into corporate life, one of the things, and I'm looking at my own career, you get like, you, you are assigned to a group, you're assigned to a job and you work on that. And you literally work on that for, say, two, two years. And then if you're very, uh, there are people I know who've been in the same job for, you know, decades or even a decade. And it's, it, to me, I don't understand how you ever learn that way. But um, every two years, even though I was in the same company, I would move to a different, I would look for other opportunities and move over. And that's something people should do. Even if you want to stay in that same company, make sure you're always looking for new opportunities to learn. And so I knew I was not getting, I mean, I was in that same place and I was pigeonholed and I was like, no, I need to get out and I have to learn more. I have to follow my career aspirations. And so that's when I decided to do that. And, uh, you know, I have been uh, very excited with this journey because, you know, after that, it, it is a little uncertain. I mean, there is that whole, you know, uh, once you become a CIO, not that job doesn't stay forever. So this first opportunity of being a CIO, um, I within trying to think, uh, within two years, um, there was a, another reorganization and, and that's, a, they say a, a CIO position lasts two years on average. Right. Right. So you have to keep uh, taking that into consideration, but you know, you get all these other opportunities one after the other and uh, you get, you keep trying to move up that uh, career chain and you, and you always look ahead as opposed to, uh, you know, um, being satisfied with where, where you are and, uh, looking, I mean, and, and just accepting status quo. Yeah. And can you talk about, and being a woman going through the, you know, into these big roles that you took on, um, you know, with so much responsibility, was there unique challenges or opportunities that, that, that you came across, um, being female, um, moving, maneuvering through that, that journey? Absolutely. Even in my first job and on that uh, executive board, I was the only woman. Um, all guys, you've got to take a lot of things in stride and uh, you got to um, kind of learn how to speak up a lot more. And so one of the things that, you know, people uh, keep talking about is uh, women face that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, syndrome. And I just, uh, and I think that all has to do with confidence. And it has, uh, so right from the beginning, like I said, my dad had instilled this uh, massive, con- you know, this confidence in me. I can talk about any subject. In fact, um, you know, it, I, I go for specific things that I don't have a lot of expertise in so that I learn. And that's one of the things. And so I, I, A, I don't call it imposter syndrome because you know, you can do it. I know I can do it. I know I'll be one of the best and uh, it's just an opportunity for me. Okay. So I, oh, yeah. So for me, Every one of these, you know, I took it, it was, it was interesting trying to work with a whole group of guys and you can see guys get a little reserved and they see there's a woman on the board. So, which is, which is fine. And then, um, building those relationships, um, it's, it is a little challenging upfront, but after that, it just, um, you know, you kind of take it in stride and, you know, work through whatever. Um, and you know, and one of the things is, you know, trying to have mentors. I personally, if you have to ask me, I've never had a mentor, real mentor that I can, you know, say that this person helped me through my career. I've had in pockets here and there, people who have helped me. Um, and, but which is why I I really believe, um, people should have mentors because I think, um, it is, uh, it is important to be able to discuss things and converse and find out how to you know get out of a situation etc right I, I i totally agree it's like that that person that you can lean into you can trust you can say this is you know what's happening are there other ways that i can look at this um what would you tell a woman who is feeling that imposter syndrome in her life you know it's like gosh 
that's not feeling that same level of confidence, how would you help them through as, as a mentor, as a guide? Yeah, first thing is I would tell them, are you, are you reading? Are you studying? Are you working really hard at it? Because mm-hmm. what happens is women go into a role and say, you know, and we know the stats. It's not like I'm making these stats, but the men accept uh, jobs when they're, you know, if they're at 60% of knowledge of a, of a position, right, mm-hmm. uh, of an opportunity. And women want to literally almost get close to 100% before they look at every single bullet to say, oh, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And men just look at the overall role and say, hey, I think I'll be awesome at it, right? right. So that's one of the first things. And, and for me, it's like the reason we feel, women feel that in, imposter syndrome is one of the things is because of our, and I can speak for myself and I don't want to you know, make it sound like um, um, completely generalizing, but I've seen it in a, lot, in a lot of my peers, is women have such a, such a you know, extensively full life you know it's like we mm-hmm. do our careers and then go spend time with the kids and then go to their games and then you know uh talk to our girlfriends and uh, you know things like that so there's, there's a lot of things going on in our lives and then suddenly uh to find that extra time to actually read and keep up with the industry on a lot of different things including new management uh strategies um your technology studies your your books etc all these things are you know um a lot of the women peers I've had, men will actually spend a lot of time reading. And we have to get to that place where we have to pull that time out. Women will read all kinds of, you know, uh, book clubs and all that. But the I'm talking about the educational materials to take the time to bring uh, get all the books about your industry, understand what your competitors are doing, understand what your and and that whole technology that you're suddenly now responsible for that you feel you're an imposter because you don't know about it. Right. So I I would tell these women just go if you're not an imposter, go read up, go study it, go ask questions, find other folks who know know the subject, and you're going to get there. It's right. not. Uh, in fact, I just uh, one of the things uh, you know blockchain is becoming big, and I went into my uh, my team and ThoughtWorks is very advanced in a lot of these technology areas. So I went in and I said, you know, I want to get educated on this. And this is one area that I would want to learn about. So I got all kinds of material, walked through this. And in fact, just this uh, week I, at the Sim Colorado um, conference, I presented, I was one of the speakers and I spoke about blockchain. And just uh, about six months ago, if you had asked me about blockchain, I'd say, yeah, I heard about it in a conference <laughs> and I was in a... <laughs> So, it's, it's so don't be afraid us. to learn new things and be, and really just get to know, you know, use space to, to educate yourself, to, to learn new things, to, so that you can be, become versatile in what you're speaking about um, and really come to the table with some expertise. Right. And the other thing I would tell them is uh, to get that confidence is take on speaking engagements, take on challenging things, go up to, I mean, request your boss for, uh, you know, op, uh, op opportunities to present to your skip level, things right. like that, you know, keep pushing yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, one of the things that I love doing is, you know, I would keep pushing everywhere uh, to start getting speaking engagements. And now, of course, I get, it, get a lot of them. But back then, when I first started, I mean, that to overcome that fear of speaking yes. in public, yes. you have to do it. Yes. And it's so funny because I totally can understand that. I, I had to go through that myself, but there was a, a, a space a few years ago where I was just like, oh my God, I don't like to speak in public. And I made all these stories up in my head. And the more I uh-huh. did it, the more I did it, the more I was like, you know, this is fun. I like this. So it's, exactly. it's putting ourselves out there and then taking those big steps um, to go do that sort of thing. So tell me a little bit about ThoughtWorks and tell me um, what took you there and why this this particular gig in your journey, it means so much to you. Yes. So that's very important to me. So I just before ThoughtWorks, the story is very clear. Uh, just before ThoughtWorks, I was at this company called Entrado, and, uh, which is, which, uh, so I ran the nationwide 911 for the United States. And the CEO there was a woman. The head of product was a woman, and I, as the CIO, was a woman. So we ran, I mean, and, and the CEO was actually the one who built that culture, and that culture was just amazing. And this was one of the first times I realized, oh, my God, culture is so important. I've been in companies, you know, where there are pockets of good culture, and then 
um, pockets of not so good culture. And right. it's just, I've never seen it consistently through an organization. And this place, I just saw this, uh, you know, everybody was so warm and everybody was so um, helpful and supportive of each other. And that, um, you know, we they, the company would do things like, uh, you know, they'd have uh, um, fundraising just to keep money so that if any of our employees ever needed it, we could give it to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, how I just so we always had that uh, fund kept at a full level so that um, and, and, you know, one of the things that occurred, unfortunately, was one of my project managers in the middle of the night, a uh, very young guy just died of a heart attack and uh, his, um, so he had a five-year-old daughter. So we took that fund and uh, bought her college savings bond. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that someday she can use that. So it's just that kind of warm people focused feeling and it just makes you feel so good. Yeah. So I figured, you know, the next job I have, if I, when I move on in my career, it has to be the, the, the number one thing that I'm going to look for is culture. And so when I was looking at all these other opportunities, I said, um, Paul Wolf came to me and said, you know, because I was their customer in the past. So I had never really worked with them before, but I was a customer at Intrado. And when they reached out to me, I said, wow, this is interesting. And then I learned all about it. Then I started studying about them. And then I heard that just before that, about a month before I joined them, they had won the 2016 award for best company in the world for women in technology and I was just floored so I started, wanted to learn more about it and then I heard I mean beating out Facebook Google uh and yes. every other company I, IBM name it and I was I was like really surprised and uh so then I was very intrigued and I uh I talked to a lot of people and uh then I joined CallWorks and I I can tell you it's everything that I've read it is um and more um, if, uh, would you be interested in hearing a couple of different examples? It's just amazing uh, some of the things that occur for making it uh, 60% women. I mean, I've never heard of any company that has 60% women. Right, right. And, and, and um, how does that make a difference in the culture there? So um, several different things. You know, first is, you know, I... In the first place, I mean, talk about the company profitability itself, itself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If your company, if your employee base does not reflect the customer base, how are you expected to even think of products, et cetera, that are going to meet their needs, the customer's needs, right? Right, Right. because you're you're disconnected. Completely disconnected. And so that impacts, straight out of that impacts company profitability. Other than that, even inside within the company itself, you know, it is, you know, once you, I mean, if that employee focus, like I said, like the CEO of Intrado had, that employee focus to be able to always think of not just all the time cost cutting, profits, everything. It's not all about just dollars. The dollars will follow. It was all about the people. If our employees are are happy, then customers are going to be happy because it will be reflected in them, how we treat our customers. Yes. That was one piece. The second piece is, you know, how, yeah, the patience, the collaborative nature, the creative nature. In fact, one of the things that I was noticing is a lot, in a lot of our um, off-sites, et cetera, it's amazing how some of the, you know, and, and it doesn't matter what age. It's not like you have 20 years of experience or anything. We have these, uh, you know, teams because, as you know, Powers is, you know, the, one of the world's leaders in Agile, uh, you know, the Agile Manifesto was, written by Martin Fowler. He was one of the four original uh, folks who wrote the Agile Manifesto. So, and Martin Fowler is very famous in, in the world in technology. So um, some of those, when I go into some of our workshops with our customers, the creative nature of a lot of these from even um, young girls who've just graduated from college all the way through, it's, uh, you know, when you design some of the mobile solutions, et cetera, it just makes a big difference. And just every, uh, when you take all these aspects into consideration, to have a healthy balance is absolutely critical. I mean, and uh, and, uh, one of the things I tell you about, you you asked me about colleagues, an example, it just blew my mind, was one of the guys that I'm working with, he uh, was in this massive conference and he was talking about, um, you know, this one project and he was one of the speakers. One of the slide, there was a slide there saying, this is how you get started. And he had four bullets in it. And um, 
I, I was looking at that and I said, bullet number three was build your team and ensure there's gender balance in it. And I'm thinking, this is a man mm-hmm. speaking in front of a massive audience, a technology conference with about 70% men in this, in this big room. And the third bullet out of the six bullets of how you build, uh, you know, deliver successfully is ensure your team is gender balanced. Right. And I was like, this is awesome. I mean, I, it's it was totally just, awesome. <laughs> and and, there, and, and, we, and we have so much, um, we have so much room to improve on this within our companies across, you know, the U S across the world. Um, and what we're seeing is when companies are making that shift and, and are making a priority, um, the, 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 the profits of the company, the culture of the company, the, the, um, the environments that people are working in are so much more caring and giving. Um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to start to see this shift happening and, and the, you know, the rewards that come along with that when companies do make those decisions. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, um, in fact, you know, one of the things that, uh, works, you know, can, uh, conscientiously does is uh, what is again very amazing is when you're pairing they try and see if, if uh, they can pair a man and a woman mm-hmm. when they're pairing not just that I've seen a lot of instances where you'll see one uh, you know with diversity background that that pair there's you know diversity in the pair itself right. and then you wonder oh my gosh how much thought goes into this it's just uh, you know uh, it's very intentional, and that's one of the key things is it has to be intentional. The culture has to be intentional and not accidental. Right. So unless companies like this, whether it's Tawas, whether it was in Prado, uh, you know, unless it, it, we're consciously doing these kind of things, um, it's not, we're not going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think we have to be very conscious, and, and I think that, you know, we have to take um, – you know, all of us have to play our role and, you know, having these discussions, having these important discussions and helping, um, you know, helping bring these ideas and these insights. So I love what you're doing and how you're doing that and, um, you know, talking about that. Um, so I, I think it's really inspirational. Right. Thank you. So tell me, um, how do you mentor and guide women today? I know you, you put a lot of um, focus on, on mentoring and guiding women and minorities. So just talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, ever since uh, you know, I became a CIO in 2006, um, one of the key things, you know, and, and being in technology, you realize there's such few women around um, in the leadership positions. And uh, so one of the things that I've always wanted to do is you know, coach, mentor uh, women and uh, minorities, because I, the, the bottom line is we need to give everybody opportunities. Right. And, uh, and the only way, you know, it, it's not like one, um, you know, any one person's better than the other before they start the job. Right. And you have to give them the opportunities to uh, be able to prove themselves. Um, so ever since then, uh, you know, I had started uh, doing a lot of things with different organizations. Um, initially, there was this Women's Leadership Institute. Every year since 2006, we've been having this uh, mentors walks. And what we do is we go out on these wa- walks in City pa- Park, and we have all these women signed, assigned to mentors. So I uh, typically would have about five people, and they would they could select who they wanted to be mentored by. So Mm -hmm. technical people would typically um, come to me and uh, financial people to be others, et cetera. So uh, then these uh, five uh, people would, um, I would kind of go on and continue to mentor uh, these girls and they would, you know, reach out to me and uh, it would just um, be, you know, a a good exchange. Because again, I would also learn a lot from, you know, the, uh, the new next generation of kids and on what their uh, issues are and how I can, you know, help them, et cetera. And then of course, through Denver Business Journal, they have been doing a fantastic job. Uh, you know, every year they have these mentoring, speed mentoring sessions and, mm-hmm. uh, they basically, uh, have, uh, all these, uh, women who come out there and we uh, provide these, uh, again, speed dating formats. So we get a lot of people coming, um, and then you have uh, conversations outside of the event after that. And uh, it's been a pretty uh, a good, uh, a good uh, two-way conversation. So I enjoy mentoring all these women, all, all women for sure. Right. 
Right. And so some, some very specific, um, um, organized mentoring that, that you've participated in, but you certainly participate also just in a more informal basis too, I know. Absolutely. So whether it's my teams or whether it's, uh, you know, through, uh, I, you know, people that I know casually, um, anybody who needs any help that, I mean, that's one of the things that I absolutely, in fact, um, one of the things that I did start taking things a little too personally. Sometimes, you know, um, one of the organizations I was with, a lot of the people who worked for me, basically a lot of them got laid off. And I personally, I take it upon myself to make sure that I can help provide, uh, introductions, have them move uh, into good positions in other organizations and, uh, you know, help them get the opportunities out there. And, uh, you know, just, uh, and I, I literally take it personally and, you know, make sure until they land. So it's just, you know, um, whatever you can give back, you know, I'm, I've been very happy and uh, satisfied with where I am. Uh, I, I'll give you one of the examples that I thought, you know, when I was doing all the, a lot of this, uh, this year, when I did a bunch of the Denver Business Journal mentoring, one of the things that uh, uh, a short story I shared, which uh, all of them really appreciated and said, you know, this is so important to us because a lot of those people who come in are these younger uh, folks trying to decide how to manage their careers. And so um, I'll give you a little example with my own daughter because, I'm, again, for me, it's all about, you know, I want to make sure I'm the right role model for my kids, both my son and my daughter. And uh, – and then help uh, anybody else that I can. So my daughter was, she was about 20 years old, a student at UCLA, and had just interviewed with about five globally reputed companies and had four job offers with, um, you know, very similar compensation. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and so she, she was really happy. And uh, though her number one choice, when I had asked her, as to previously, had not yet offered her a job. Okay. And she needed to respond to these four companies by the end of the week. So I just, you know, I figured, you know, so uh, what do you, how do you plan to handle this? What do you plan to do? So, she so you asked her a like, question versus telling her this is what you should do. You actually asked exactly. her. Yeah, so good. <laughs> I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so she, she like responded like most girls would. She just she said, you know, I'll wait till the end of the week. If I haven't heard from uh, this, the number one company of my choice, then I will accept uh, the number two company of my choice. Uh, by by Friday, so I said, you know, um, what about uh, thinking of other opportunity, other, other strategies? Um, I said, you know, how about you know, here's one option. How, are you comfortable with this? And you know, how about you know, calling, calling up with your contacts at that other company, at the company you really want, share your preference that you really want to be with them, and then share the other offers and say, this is what uh, I have uh, received and. Uh, just what's your, you know, um, what's the best competitive offer you have? And I needed, and I need to respond to this other place by Friday. Oh my gosh! Initially, she was like aghast at this, and oh, she uh, was. She's uh, like, ah, yeah, <laughs> that's pushy and presumptuous, mom. How do you uh, that? I can't do that. And so then um, I challenged her that she would still have the same results. Uh, you know, she still had a job with the uh, second best mm-hmm. and uh, even even if they did find a bushy so it's so not... walking through the possibilities of what might happen it wasn't it there was no difference in the results so that's a great exactly so i said you're still going to have this and you know if the other company finds you pushy you know that's that's their problem and you just move on you still have a great job and you lose nothing but you have an upside with this other option, with this other strategy. Mm-hmm. So she finally, I mean, she wrote the letter in a very nice way, <laughs> very sweet, you know, young girl, kind of very friendly and nice. And but she sent it off and said exactly the things that uh, we talked about. And guess what? Within two days, that uh, the company of choice responded to her. Fifteen k more, ten k in reload, additional. I mean, all kinds of options that. She would never have imagined. And then she calls me up and says, thank you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. I totally love it. Oh, okay. This has been great, Chandy. I'd like, I'd love to close off today about with, with three pearls of wisdom that you can leave our audience. Sure. Um, the first one I'll say, and I will say this a lot is confidence is key. Believe in yourself mm-hmm. and make sure that, you know, 
it doesn't matter that you don't know a couple of things here and there. Nobody does. Nobody knows everything. Right. Just right. make sure you have confidence in yourself that you can pick up what you can, educate yourself, learn, and grow. And uh, so reflect that confidence, whether it's in an interview, in your daily job, etc. Right. Okay. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, another pull of wisdom, maybe I can say, is uh, always be open to mentoring and coaching. Um, you have to network throughout your career, not only when you're in trouble. Very often, people, you know, get kind of complacent in their current job, and they will not. Uh, go out of their way to attend networking events. They will not, um, you know, keep in touch with folks until that day they get laid off and they need somebody else's help. Yeah, and that's the wrong time to do it. And yes. you need to make sure you build those relationships when you don't need anything from them. That's so true. And I am a big believer in creating connection and community, and how um, you know that that the relationships that we have in our life. Um, are so important. And it's funny, as you say that, I mean, I think back to when I, when I left my, my last corporate job, I had had my head to the grindstone so much so so that I really hadn't been out networking, just as you said, it's like, you know, you're, you're busy, you're working long, long hours, that sort of thing. And I wasn't making space for it. In fact, I think I had six LinkedIn connections at the time. (laughs) Um, Wow. (laughs) I know. Right. Um, And um, so and, and then I spent the next two years after that, just like every week meeting so many people. I mean, it was just, and what I discovered was it was so much fun. And I love it, the community that has, that has built around me, um, you know, and just because of that, it's, it's so important to, to reach out and, and make connections, real meaningful connections with people, not the, you know, just shake hands and say hi and goodbye and um, throw some, your business card in somebody's face, but it's really that um, a deep, meaningful connection. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. And then so, what's the um, third? The third one is very important. Um, plan your careers. It, don't let it happen to you. You have to make it happen. Right. So let's say you're even on your first job, day one, you have your goals. And one of the things you don't want to do is surprise your supervisor. Let's say you have a goal in your first year that you want to be um, promoted to a different position, uh, a manager, your supervisor's role um, position in, say, three years. Let's say that's your goal, right? Mm-hmm. And what you don't want happening is in three years, you confront the supervisor and say, you know, I was expecting to be promoted by this time. I'm not yet got promoted and all that. So what you need to do is bring your supervisor into that discussion way up front, so uh, when you're uh, when you're new, when you're whatever job it is, you have a brand new supervisor. You sit down with them, say these are my career goals, and uh, I would love to have your help in accomplishing these. So that way, it makes them a part of your journey, and they will help you get there, as opposed to then it becoming confrontational in three years, right? Right. So, and then the second thing is, you know, and. One of the things I want to make sure people take away from this is just if, say, in three years, you don't get that role, it's not a failure. It's just a learning that you take and say, okay, it's time to adjust my strategy. What didn't work? Why didn't I manage that? Um, is it time for me to move on to another company? What What do I need to do to take control of my, of my uh, career? And then drive towards that goal. Adjust your strategy and drive towards that new goal. Right. And then... One of the other things that I always tell is, you know, I have these people come to me and say, I, you know what, I I'm just don't feel comfortable in this position that, and I feel like there's some big changes coming and there's going to be some major layoffs. And and I have these people, so I ask them, so what, have you, what are you doing about it? Um, so they'll say, no, no, I'm just, you know, I'm looking around, but, you know, I haven't applied anywhere. And so one of the things I always tell people is when you, when you, if you ever feel that way, make sure you, that you always have a when you have a job that you look for another job as opposed to looking start looking for a job after you're laid off right right because that's one of the, that's the hardest time to get a job is when you already are without a job when you have a job you can you, you can control that conversation um you know not typically literally when i was in one of these conversations the first step a company a company asked me was what's your salary requirement and i gave the salary requirement and they said well, that's uh, beyond our upper limit. So I said, okay, well, it was thanks. It was good talking and uh, we'll stay connected and uh, let me know if you, 
you know, want to have any further conversations in a couple of years. And uh, so, and uh, sure enough, within about 24 hours, they called me back. And they said, well, I'm, I went back to the customer and they agreed that this is, uh, they would be willing to look at other, uh, other numbers if uh, the candidate was really strong. And I got the job afterwards. And uh, they, I didn't budget on my salary, but it's some of those are the things that you should be able to say no and walk away. Right. But if you don't have a job, you typically will keep going the other way, right? You will right. take a decrease in salary, you'll take a demotion in position, and uh, instead of you saying, okay, hey, no, I am the confident, I'm confident, I am uh, in charge, and I will make sure that I'm driving my career as opposed to the other, you know, my career, my current position driving me. Right. So really be on that, um, um, where you're being proactive and what you're planning in the front of you and seeing out in front of you and knowing that it may not always be that straight, straight linear line to go where you're going, mm-hmm. that it, you know, it, it may take different shapes and forms and that, and you're anticipating and new ideas might even be coming up. Cause I can tell you right now, I would, you know, 10 years ago, I would have never imagined I'm doing today what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but that, um, you know, knowing that sometimes we will take different journeys than what we might anticipate or see in front of us. But the fact is, is that you're always looking out ahead of yourself and, and, and making those, those kind of steps towards that. Right. Right. Absolutely. You have that, uh, your target and you go towards that. Yeah. And I love the fact too, that, you know, sharing your story about standing on your salary. It's like, you know, this is what, I'm worth and thank you very much. If it's, if it's not going to, you know, if that doesn't work for you, I'm, I'm walking from that and then how that came back for you. So I think that's another important lesson. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you so much, Tandy. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate your, your great wisdom and sharing your stories and um, I'm sure our audience will enjoy this as well. And so thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Cammie. This is uh, interesting. Anything that can help um, move this needle with uh, women in technology and growth is uh, always a good positive thing. Absolutely. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGellner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.